You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, I am still in Canada. It is week two of my travels. I will be back next week. We are just seeing some incredible things as God is moving. I want to let you guys know that we so appreciate you. Those of you that pray for us, that listen to us, that tell your friends about us, and that financially support us, we at Bride Ministries just love to appreciate. And I want to tell you this. God is a rewarder. He's a rewarder of those diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of faithfulness. He is a rewarder of those that sow. And I I just want you guys to know, especially those of you that are supporting us, um, God's reward is with him. And we pray for you. I want to give a shout out. I like to give this shout out every so often. We have a resource at BrideMovement.com for prayer needs. It's it's the prayer at Bride Movement inbox. You can find it by scrolling to the bottom of our homepage. If you need prayer, if you need something addressed, if you need someone to stand with you for some kind of issue, don't write our general inbox. Just go to the bottom of our page and BrideMovement.com where you will find... uh, a place where you can get prayer. It is just, and, and what you do is you click the link. It, it'll take you to a page. You put your name, your email, and your prayer request. That's going to go off to one of our prayer teams. They're going to find it. They're going to read it. They're going to pray for you and send you an email after they have covered your need in prayer, letting you know. And uh, this is our service because we get a lot of emails from people saying, can Dan Duvall pray for me? I really need Dan Duvall to cover this in prayer. And well, I, I don't have enough time, guys. But I do have a platform that God has given me and we have empowered, trained, and released others to stand with you on behalf of this ministry. And so I want to make sure you're aware of that resource. Um, Just one more thing that uh, we are uh, leveraging to to give back and, and to meet you at your point of need with the power of Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that the Bride Ministries Institute is not going anywhere. It is, I mean, an amazing platform wherein we are able to train and equip those that want it. Uh, it, it is a self-directed thing. You will uh, pay for the course. It will open up to you. You'll be able to log in, watch the courses. Each course that you would buy has at least eight sessions. Some have more than that. And at the end of that, you will have quizzes that you can take to test the comprehension of your knowledge. It will track your course completion and you can take it at your own pace, which means if you buy the course this month, you can decide you're not going to do your homework and wait a whole month to take the next class in that series if you want. So it, 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 it's our way of beginning the platform for the DID coaching school. It is the foundation's material for the school and some material that is vital. As a matter of fact, the uh, Fundamentals of Inner Healing course that's on there is exclusive to the Bride Ministries Institute. Nowhere else will you find that information. I've never taught it before publicly as a course and 
um, that is there waiting for you and there'll be other courses to follow. We are doing a course starting next week called Fundamentals for the Mighty Man. Mighty men, this is your last chance, okay? I, I've begged, I've pleaded, and, and then I begged your wives and pleaded with them, sign these men up. Men, we want you to join us on this expedition to uh, unveiling incredible manifestations of your manliness. Like, why wouldn't you want that? I want to be more manly. I, I mean, like, seriously, this is where you need to be. So we're going to learn how to be men together, and we're going to grow and become strong and powerful in Christ Jesus in an environment fostering camaraderie, okay? So that is going to be every Monday night starting next, like this coming Monday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, we're just looking forward to seeing you there for all the men that have already signed up or are finding out that your wife signed you up. I want to say, hey, (laughs) you're not going to regret it. Now, with that said, I'm not going to delay the uh, playing of this program with other announcements. Look, uh, there's so many exciting things at Bride Ministries. Be sure to join us also at the Fireplace Church every Sunday night. We're just having an amazing, incredible time. And that platform is expanding. We now offer it on YouTube as well as the meeting itself where you can log in, make comments, chat, so on and so forth. Just go to our website, bridemovement.com. Click the Fireplace Church tab and you can join every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. With that said... We'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, we're back on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and I am not sorry about what I did to you last week by ending my interview with Dina at such an inconvenient cliffhanger. I did that on purpose because I wanted you to come back. With that said, I am really happy to have Dina back on the program this week for the second part of her story. Now, if you don't know, I'm actually in Canada right now as this is airing because, well, I'm conferencing. So we recorded this in advance and I knew that if anyone got really mad, I would be out of the country. So, <laughs> Dan, safe. <laughs> um, Dina, welcome back to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Hi, good to be back. Well, um, in our first interview, Dina, we talked a lot about your childhood through the eyes of someone that had not put the full story together. You gave us the fragments, the pictures the things that you knew throughout your life, which were highly scattered and uh, somewhat an, uh, random. You know, it's just a little bit about this. I, I do remember that one time and so forth. You also told us about how you got to graduate high school and that journey and also college and, and meeting your husband. Um, in all of that time, you didn't, know that you were a survivor of satanic ritual abuse, but you struggled with self-harm, with suicide, and with missing time. 
And it wasn't until later that things began to break down. And we're going to talk about that today. But but first, I happen to know, and, and our listeners can't see this, but I happen to know that you are snuggling a giant sloth. Not not alive, but a, a stuffy that is a sloth. And yes. this is the thing. For survivors, stuffies bring great comfort. I didn't understand this at first, and I learned over time. Can you talk to us a little bit about what stuffies mean for you and your little parts and why they can be helpful? Stuffies are amazing in so many ways. Um, this this little stuffed sloth I actually just just got last night at midnight, and my littles just jumped on top of him and they loved him because they could hold him and cuddle him and they made he's soft and they just squealed with glee and they wanted me to go get my little baby carrier so that I could just pack him around and still use my hands and. <laughs> I have a big stuffed fish called Rainbow that is theirs, and they pack Rainbow around, which is really impractical for me. And I, I'm always seen with a stuffy. There's a little, there's a penguin even here where I'm at that my littles named it Little. And there's times where for days in a row, they won't let me let it go, and they'll scream and be mad at me when I put it down. For practical things like you have to go to the bathroom. So they, it brings incredible comfort. Um, it's just one of the things. It is um, a safety. For many of my littles, it, it makes them feel safe. It makes them feel, yeah, I guess the word is safe. But it's, um, it brings comfort, and it's, it's a stability thing. And that's what stuffies, I guess, have always felt like for me, is when the world is kind of messy around, you can just pick up your favorite little stuffy and sit with it even when you're, you know, 28, 33, and, and things feel safe. And, you know, before this, I didn't know why I would be picking up that stuffy and why I always had a stuffy and why even in high school I had a stuffy in my backpack. And it just... It became that I used to be told all the time that my I had an incredible make-believe, which still fascinates me because I am not good at playing make-believe with my daughter. But I would play with my stuffies and act out things, and you know I would have names for them, and they they would each have different things that they loved, and it was always very elaborate, and. Everybody was always just amazed at that, and it just felt really normal for me. <laughs> so I actually have an insane amount of stuffed animals for a 33-year-old, <laughs> and I can't blame my daughter. <laughs> but it is a nice alibi when people don't understand. You know, My daughter will try and take a stuffy from me. She's eight. She oh, wants no. the stuffed animal. And when that happens, it's like an instant reaction where all of a sudden I'll grab it back and it's in my hand. And I'm like, how did that happen? And I want to give it to her, but I can't. And so I'll just tell her she has to cuddle me with the stuffy because I can't physically let it go. The, the whole idea of stuffed animals and survivors is actually a phenomenon to me. I, I didn't know about this, like, like many other things. And 
as God began to lead me into this work and, and, and helping lots of survivors, male and female, I ran into the subject of stuffies and I, I just didn't know. For, for me, the idea of cuddling with the stuffy would, would, would seem odd and strange. Like, what is a grown man doing with the stuffy? But the, the truth is, when a person has young parts, just like Dina said, and this goes for men and women, by the way, um, there can be a great deal of security and safety when a stuffy is employed. I, I have met both men and women that have stuffies. The, the men are typically more secretive about it. As a matter of fact, I will say this, if you know a man in his 30s or 40s that does keep stuffies on hand, they may be a survivor. Uh, not just, you know, a little strange. I have also learned that there's a very interesting thing that happens, and, and we're going to get back to Dina in a minute, but I'm just going to say this because it happens to be very interesting. There is witchcraft that can demonize a a, a doll. Um, one of America's, you know, most famous horror movie series, Chucky. Uh, was based on this idea that you could have a doll possessed <clears throat> by a spirit. But I thought in my uh, former thinking that the only reason why anyone would talk to their stuffy was because they were talking to a demon. And I ran into uh, a, a, a radical paradigm shift because I learned, uh, specifically with childhood toys that are stuffed, uh, sometimes when a child is going through a very traumatic season, they will dissociate their parts into the stuffed animal. And when they engage with that stuffed animal, either then or later in life, they're able to engage with the parts of them that are behind the amnesiac wall to get the data, even the memories back of things that were going on in their life during a certain period of time or during a traumatic event. And they, they, they feel a huge attachment to that stuffed animal because it's, it's their link to that part of themselves. And I've found that certain people will talk with their stuffed animals and they'll explain it like, yeah, I was talking with my stuffed animal and, and the average Christian is going to think, no, you're just talking with demons. Actually, they're engaging with their parts. So it, it, there's a lot that goes along with the stuffed animals. And I, I, I just thought it was uh, good to bring up since you have one with you. <laughs> that actually reminds me when I had mentioned earlier about testifying in court. Um about that knife incident and I the police officer gave me a little white stuffed bear with a little blue sweater on it was a shaw bear and that little bear went with me absolutely everywhere and I remember when it disappeared the absolute devastation that that caused in me was a more severe reaction than you know a, a teenager should have 
you know, like 14 year old, this little stuffed white bear, get over it. And, and I couldn't get over it. And it, it took years to be okay with losing that bear. And it turns out that that little bear, there was a part that they latched onto that with all of the trauma of testifying in court and all of the trauma of the incident, they had latched onto that bear and that's where they held it. And when it disappeared, they felt like they, they were lost too. Wow. It's amazing what you learn. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, well, thank you for making me sound smart, Dina. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let's get back to your story, though. Okay. When we left off last week, we were talking about the, the, the uh, journey that you took to things beginning to break open. I asked you, what was the bridge that allowed for some of these memories to begin to open up for to open you up to a healing journey that would unveil the truth that you were satanically abused, so on and so forth. And you said it it was dreams, which you just thought were just horrible nightmares, and other smoking guns like waking up in a puddle of blood and not knowing how it happened. Constantly, so yeah. Let, 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 let's just start, um, you know, a few years after you're married and walk us through the process. All right. <clears throat> well, we had moved out here in March of 2009 and it, again, moving out to Winnipeg, it was pouring rain, which was very strange considering how cold it was. It was pouring rain and it... And then it turned to minus 40 the week later, and it was a very cold shock to this BC girl who, you know, I, I didn't even know what minus 10 was. So. Mm -hmm. um, and this is Celsius for the record. So we moved out here, and we, within a couple of weeks, we started attending a little Baptist church very close to where we were, where we lived, and it... It was your very typical Baptist church. It was very sweet, and we we were actually coming to really enjoy being there. They were different than many other churches that I'd been in. Um, and after a couple months, I started to notice a certain family. And it started with uh, a message that was given, like that Dee had given, the first couple weeks that we were attending there, and it was a message on Passover. And I am, if anyone's ever listened to Arthur Burke and understands the redemptive gifts, I am prophet. I am black and white. I need to understand something thoroughly. And it poked everything in me, and I asked every question that I could think of because, for me, it, it challenged what I had believed. And Dee was always more than willing to answer questions for me and point me in the, scripture, the right scriptural direction to look, and he would never give me the answer, so to say. He would give me little nuggets, and then I would search into it for myself. And as I would do that, I, I learned a lot, and I also had more questions. And <laughs> that, that actually really strengthened the relationship there with them. And they actually did a, a Passover dinner at the church that year, and I got to participate in that, and it was it was a huge blessing, and it really sparked a lot in me and changed a lot of thinking. Um, we actually, he started teaching that year a class every Sunday after 
after lunch at the church, and it was a class to do with swords. And it was various swords, um, Japanese katanas, and, you know, your English broadswords, and <laughs> rapiers, and it was, you know, find one that you really like, and let's play, and he could teach them all, and it was, it was amazing to me, it completely enthralled, and I still do it to this day, and I still have a sword of my own, and, <laughs> and I actually got a chance to teach that same sword class um, to campers this summer is one of the activities at camp, which was really neat. And I was just completely enthralled. It was very unique. And one thing about um, D&M is that they were always different. They seemed different than everybody else I'd ever really come in contact with. There was a drawing towards them. <coughs> and at the same time, um, I, again, the missing time increased. And the severe suicide, that cyclical pattern increased, and I was, and they became mentors for us. Mm-hmm. And we would go over and talk, and my husband would kind of pour out his heart about the frustrations of it, and pour out some of his own stuff, and I would share what was going on, and they they really were, became a rock for us. And after four years of marriage, this was two years after moving here, I actually became pregnant. And it was a complete shock to me because I was always told that I would never be able to get pregnant. I had severe endometriosis along with many other disorders (laughs) internally. And I just, I should not have been able to have had children. And, you know, four years of marriage, nothing. And all of a sudden, I'm pregnant, and it was it was incredible. And I remember even knowing right at conception that I was. Mm. And I had the name for her. And, again, you know, you're not even showing up on a stick yet. But, but I had the name, and I knew it was a girl, and that this was <laughs> that. And and as as things progressed at around eight weeks, I started to bleed very heavily, and I, I lost, it turns out that um, my baby, baby Jay, was a twin, and I lost one of the twins, and I'm so thankful for her stubbornness to this day, because she clung, she clung, mm. and she stayed, and she stayed so much so that she was eight days late, and I was jumping on the trampoline yelling, get out, please. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> And she was quite happy where she was. And it turns out that twins really run in my family. And I was a twin. And my mom, um, she had had an abortion of twins, actually. And I, when I, one of the first memories that was recovered for me was actually that I was a twin. And the first split that happened was in the womb. And actually, one thing I didn't mention earlier, or maybe I did, is that I'm, I'm not the core. I'm just the main presenter. So the core split at that moment. And I became the first split, the first presenter. And the core went down. And what we actually learned was that in a very rare thing, apparently, uh, Yeshua took, took our core and put her in a safe place and and kept her there. And he ministered to her until all of this was discovered. And so 
actually the very core of who we are has known Yeshua since then. <laughs> and so when you read things like, you know, Psalm 139, it's like, I knit you together. I knew you before you were born. He really did. And it's, it just has mm-hmm. a different meaning for me anyway. That's good. And, and just and, um, to kind of say a few words on, on this, uh, you know, many of you that listen to this podcast regularly are probably familiar with some of this language, but just in case you're not, the core generally represents <laughs> the original soul substance that's um, the source point from which fragments are split. And so every time a trauma happens, that original uh, soul that's there at conception gets shaved and broken and splintered. Um, And when you consider the work that happens with the survivor, I have found that finding where the core is and getting the core involved in the healing journey is important because if let's say the core has a split but then that fragment from the core is then subsequently split and then split and split and split and split so you have this kind of a family tree of parts coming down from this one split off of the core and five or six people down of splits that part gets the job of being a presenter if I try as a worker in this area to integrate, that is to bind up the brokenhearted, to put parts back together, um, and and I I will say you know well you know let's try to integrate this part that's five generations down and some other part. They may bind for a minute and then come back apart, and the integrations don't work and they don't happen. Um, it's because I'm not integrating back to the original core and that can create a problem. It doesn't typically work. So there is a need oftentimes to identify the core parts. And, and um, another thing that I have noticed and this, cause everybody is different. Um, some survivors I've sat down with the idea of having a core doesn't even make sense to them because there are so many parts and um, even the original is broken in so many pieces, there's an uh, inability to discover or determine which one is actually the core. Uh, it, it, it's kind of like carving away at a slice of, like a loaf of bread versus just taking a mirror and smashing it in a million pieces on the floor and they're all small. Um, so this terminology gets funny when you get deep into the work but in a nutshell a core is what you're starting with it's that original source point did you want to add anything dina no that's actually a good way of explaining all of that and yeah (laughs) i appreciate that sorry please continue (laughs) yeah um i i've actually always appreciated how incredibly good you are at 
putting words to things and explaining details that I, I, I often struggle with. So thank you. Amen. So, so this baby yeah. would not come out of your belly. No, she was happy. She was very happy in there. She was active and very happy. She enjoyed putting her feet directly through the middle of my rib cage. So <laughs> she, she thrived and she grew and I, I have continued to be very blessed by her. Um, the couple that we had, again, that I mentioned that we've been growing close with that had been mentoring us, um, they had received out of nowhere a jogging stroller. And they had been praying, you know, who do we give this to? We don't need it anymore. Um, our kids are older. And they, it turns out that we were the ones that Yeshua had said, give it to them. And I love to jog. I love to run. I was looking forward to getting back to it. And what it turns out to be is that that was our first baby gift that we received, period. And it actually turned out to be a very prophetic gift in our life. Hmm. So after giving birth, I started taking a lot of martial arts with um, Dee. He was very skilled in many martial arts and had been taking it since he was a teenager. And I, I picked things up quickly, and I was really enjoying it. And it turns out there was a part back there going, yeah, that's my fault, and I'm really good at it too. So um, the mentorship just really continued with them. And we grew very close. And one Sunday, um, we started attending a different church for reasons I won't go into today. But during that church service, uh, a guest speaker spoke um, about, a, it, was, it was a conference going on that weekend called the Father Heart of God. And he spoke that Sunday, um, just one of the sessions, and he shared it with the church body. And I, the anger and the rage and the, sorry to be so crass, but the oh hell no that rose up in me um, shocked me. And I got up and I left. And it was, it, it actually really did shock me. I knew that I had dad issues, mm-hmm. um, but I knew, I also knew, like, I would, I could never see Yahweh as my dad. I could see Yeshua. I could accept the set-apart spirit. I could accept Yahweh as my God, but I could not accept him as a dad. That was never going to happen. And I had said that was an oath that had been spoken in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't need a dad. And I'd spoke it even to, to God all the way throughout my journey of just, I don't need you. I don't need a dad. Not like that. And... <clears throat> After stewing for a couple weeks in all of this, I, I finally went to um, M&D, and I sat with them, and I just I poured out my heart in all of it. And I said, you know, I explained exactly why it was never going to happen. And I remember M sitting on the floor uh, right beside the piano, and it just it sits so vividly clear for me. And she looked at me and she said, for the sake of your daughter, you need to do this. How you view Yahweh as your dad, all the bitterness and anger that you hold against him will be passed on to your daughter. And that is how she will view view God. As well as like all the anger that I had towards 
my earthly father, the abandonment, the rage that was there, that would pass on as well to my daughter, and she would eventually start to view her dad in that way. And she said, you have a choice to make. And I was reminded of scripture. Mm-hmm. And is it okay if I just read that scripture verse? Please. It says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. And you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life, and he will give you the many years in the land that he swore to give your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that it spoke volumes to me, that verse, choose this day whom you will serve, choose life or death for the sake of your children. And, and I absolutely, I shattered, I broke. I, for myself, I, I actually believe I would not have made the decision to see him as, to see Yahweh as a father. But for my daughter... I, I was willing to walk through whatever was needed. And so as I was like crying, I actually talked to the king and I gave him permission to deal with the anger inside and show himself to me as an avid daddy, as, as a father. And he did. And, and he showed up and, and he reminded me of that vision back in the throne room as my dad. And all that that represented and I absolutely, like just... You know, I just picture someone curled up in a ball on the couch for mm. three hours crying <laughs> and kind of just twiddling your thumbs going, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was just the amount of tears and agony that was there. And he took all of that hardness and the bitterness and the anger and he replaced it with, with the softness. And I didn't expect that. I really didn't. And I, I actually couldn't have ever imagined or hoped for that kind of softness that he replaced it with. And... And all of a sudden, I just, I looked up, and I had, I had Abba Daddy, and it felt right. And after what seemed like, honestly, forever, I calmed down, and I opened my eyes. And in front of me was Dee, kneeling down. And he held my hand, and he said to me, will you do me the honor of showing you what an earthly father looks like, too? And I, I froze. I was in absolute shock. Up until now, nearly every person in my life had rejected me. Mm-hmm. And there was a person in front of me that was knowing the mess in my life was choosing me. And I froze. And every emotion available to mankind, I felt in an instant, and it felt like forever. And I, I actually shook my head no. And... He got up, and my husband, you know, scooched over on the couch, and he sat down beside me, and I burst into tears again. And I leaned the absolute opposite way, and I put my head on the other side of the couch, and, and I cried. And I cried a lot, and, and I calmed down. And, and I looked up, and all he said was, you know, you're leaning the wrong way. <laughs> and actually, to this day, whenever I find myself running away and... You know, the run button gets hit. I call it the run button. He kind of just says, you know, you're leaning the wrong way. Mm. And after a, a really long pause, I sighed and I leaned his way. And I placed my head on the very edge of his shoulder, so much so that it was barely his shoulder. And just close enough to signal the fact that, okay, I agree. I, 
I would really like that. And honestly, that that was the beginning of the journey for actual healing for me. Um, I was actually at age 28. It was a couple months after my 28th birthday, and I was adopted, like full-out adoption. And that is one thing I can say, at least for me, for my journey, that was the catalyst to the absolute breaking in me. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the first step in really building the good things into my life. That, was, yeah. <laughs> that is so powerful. And, you know, the first time that I found out that you were adopted and I'm like, oh, when you were adopted and you're like 28, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But it was a it it was truly a redemptive work in your life authored by Holy Spirit. Yeah. Without question. And, um, you know, I've had the privilege of speaking with Dee before. And he's just a wonderful man of God. And um, I just so appreciate him and his wife for what they have opened up to you and your family. And uh, they definitely are deserving of honor for, for, for all of the hard work that they have um, done. And, you know... I, I also want to add this here. Because of pain, we all make vows that we will do without or be better off with things regarding things that we need desperately. And I know for me, one of the big battles in my life was spiritual fathering, which I thought was, I mean, a big load of baloney I'm like this is literally the worst part of being Christian is having to deal with people that are supposed to sit in that role or office relative to my life that and and I went through a long you know series of letdowns and disappointments of course not what you've been through but you know for me it was bad enough for me to conclude that you know uh, (laughs) the whole idea of having a spiritual father is just Ridiculous! What do I need that for? And God got on my case real big about it. He said, you need it. You need it. It's not something you want. It's something you need. You absolutely need it. And you can't receive it until you have a heart change. And that's the crazy thing. It's like, how can I get hurt over and over and over by something and then have God say, now get over it and then receive it into my life again because that seems completely contrary to truth and logic and yet when it comes to mothers and fathers, this is how he works because we need it. Yeah, it's who he is. <laughs> Learned now that it's understanding that is we say we want to understand God, we want to know who He is, we want to get to know Him, and then when He says, you know, I want to be your mom, I want to be your dad, and all the pain in your life, it <laughs> it comes screeching to the front, and you go, nope, that part I won't do. I will, every other aspect of you I want. But the area of brokenness, 
we often reject in God because we don't we can't deal with it in us. <laughs> mm, 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 mm. So good. So, um, leading up to this moment at twenty eight, the adoption. What were some of the things that were transacting? Um, I yeah I. One of the things I had learned just actually right after the adoption is that they had been adopting for many years. Um, actually seven years, and they had many extras in their life. And so it wasn't a foreign concept to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually ended up, in being adopted, I didn't just end up with a mom and dad. I actually ended up with a huge family. And that that has been essential to healing in so many ways. Um, before actually leading up to that, I was incredibly sick. I had... I was throwing up constantly. I had been to doctor after doctor after doctor who couldn't or wouldn't figure out what was wrong with me. They just pushed me aside. And I was down to 100 pounds. And I was passing out constantly. I would get vertigo when I would stand up. and not Rather than just, you know, it equalizing, I would pass out. And I could eat a mouthful of rice and I would throw it up. And I was waking up constantly again I'd mentioned just on the floor covered in blood having no memory or understanding what was going on and I was terrified and I even after like being adopted I was hitting that point of I felt unsafe no matter where I was no matter what I was doing I literally felt like I was sitting at death's door and that I I wasn't going to make it I was incredibly suicidal I I can't even explain how bad my body was with cuts all over them, ones that I had either chosen to put there or woken up and found them. And I had found this little Catholic retreat place, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to run away. I'm going to find a place where there's no knives and there's nothing, and I'm going to be there because at least I, it felt like a safe, a safe thing. And I wanted to get away from everything that was just haunting me. And... It was also at the same time that that had entered my brain and those had put across my path. Um, I'll just say mom and dad now. <laughs> um, their first adopted daughter, Anne, was in the city. And it was a huge family dinner because she does not come very often. And I was getting ready to leave and dad came and he, he persuaded me to just come to dinner and maybe spend the night, but to just just start here. Don't run, come to dinner, just take things one thing at a time. And this was maybe a week after the adoption had taken place and I I figured, okay, fine. <laughs> and at the family dinner, I was really not doing okay. I had extreme anxiety, I was twitching, I couldn't sit, I couldn't stand, I couldn't do anything. And I was a complete wreck. And I went out into the backyard, and Dad and Anne followed, and and Dad started praying for some of the demonic in me, and I ended up throwing up in the bushes. And the weirdness of that didn't even make her run. She just, she loved on me more, she said, and she just, she hugged me, and I, she made me feel accepted, and all of this was so foreign to me, because every single person in my life except up to that point, except my husband had run from every aspect of me, my life, the weird things, they'd all run. But 
these people were not running, they were actually drawing closer. And years after that, um, after that moment, I called in to talk to her and let her know what had actually been revealed to us and that it was DID and SRA. And she, I could see her smile on the other end of the phone. And she said, I know. And I, that moment where you stop and you're like, what? <laughs> what? And she's like, I know. I knew at that moment that, that, that that's what was going on, but I had no peace to tell you and dad what was going on. And so I stepped back and I chose to pray. And it turns out that for years, she had been working with someone herself that had been put in her life that was SRADID. Wow. And so she had recognized all those things in me. And, you know, the set-apart spirit had come and, and told her what it was. And she knew, and she'd known for years, and my jaw just dropped. Hmm. And it was one of those confirmations of, I'm not making this up. It's like she knew already. And she was just waiting for me to tell her. <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. Wow. And just trying to find where I was, sorry. Um Yeah, so so she told you this as a confirming word. And um I mean yeah. I think that that actually was probably the right move uh and and i'll be honest i meet people at times dina and i can look at them and i can hear a few things out of their mouth and know right there and then i i mean sometimes i can literally see their parts even on occasion i'll hear their parts talking inside of them that's through holy spirit it's very strange it's only happened a few times but i don't always feel led to share that because the person needs to be ready to receive it. So I can definitely respect her approach. Yeah. And that actually turned out really, you're right, to be very much the right move because mm. it's, sorry, excuse me. It turns out that after it, it felt like years um, of walking in circles, um, with mom and dad, we spent another nearly two years. They would work with me and they would deal with the demonic and they would literally all nighters, absolute all nighters, sometimes all weekend dealing with things in me. And I would be throwing up and I'd be sick and I was just, I was really not okay. And, and it was that same cyclical pattern and it just felt like we were gaining no ground but what we didn't know was that Yeshua was letting that happen actually because his purpose was to to actually build a very deep relationship of trust mm -hmm. proving to both myself and to them that they weren't going to run that they weren't scared away that they were in it for the long haul and I needed to know that, that all of the weird in me wasn't going to scare them away, and they needed to know that all of the weird wasn't going to scare them away. <laughs> hmm. And it was nearly two years, and all of a sudden we hit that, we hit the wall, and it was like, that's it. There has got to be a better way. We need to know what is going on. Hmm. And 
Yahweh said, yeah, it's the right time. And he told myself, Dad, and um, my husband all in the same week what was going on. And he, for me, he just plain told me what it was. And I didn't have any understanding of it. He just said, this is what it is. And it turns out he had showed, shown Dad a book during a men's meeting one night. And he looked up, and just above um, the pastor's head was a book that said MPD. And there's a funny story with that because it's the same book. If you remember interviewing Amanda Bias mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the book that she found, yeah. that's the same book same that book. we were given. exact same book and it's an old book it's not a common one (laughs) I have not yet laid my personal eyes on a physical copy of that book (laughs) we have it sitting on the it's sitting on the dresser I can see it right now (laughs) and it was that book and he asked um, if he could borrow that and then my husband was given uh, he was given an article that he went through And, you know, it had the list of, you know, if you have MPD, this is what it is. These are all the symptoms. And it just listed everything that we have been walking through for for so many years. And and so we kind of brought it all together one night where we all sat down again. And it was like he really did show us all (laughs) what it was. And it was, I have dissociative identity disorder. And it was like all of a sudden, all of the mess all of the blur, all of the pieces that made no sense in my life came into a very crystal clear pinpoint focus and all of a sudden made sense. And that that was a huge impact. (laughs) Mm. And so that was like, I mean, all horses are now running. Yeah, they're all attached to the right buggy. Oh my gosh. Um... And it's just amazing, you know, just having the right language, the right um, diagnosis, how much that helps. And, you know, I've had a lot of, you know, conversation on this podcast with Dr. Preston Bailey. And, you know, one of the things he's brought out multiple times is that the average survivor of satanic ritual abuse or person having DID is misdiagnosed seven times if you are going the clinical route before it's even discovered, like, what they actually have. Um, and there's a whole medical conspiracy behind that, and I'm not going to get into that here. But um, uh, let, let's just say that I think there's a lot of misdiagnoses because the insurance companies and their bedmates, the pharmaceutical companies, have a preferred way of getting cash. So anyway... Uh, you 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 know you have people trying to apply a screwdriver when they need a hammer and they don't even know the right tools because they don't know what the problem actually is now that you understood what the problem was how did things shift yeah it was you know you're given you're given the word but you still you don't know what it is you don't know <laughs> what to do with it. The only thing that we've ever known what to do is to to sit down with Yeshua and say, okay, what do you want to do next? Um, you're running the show and 
we kind of place our lives in your hand and you need to do it or we're all kind of really lost right now. Mm. And he does, well, he did what he's always done and he showed up. And <laughs> we sat down one night and we said, okay, um, if this is what it is, we don't know what to do. Could you please lead us? And And honestly, that began the unraveling of my actual story. All, everything has actually started to come out and again he didn't just throw like this this at that time felt like being thrown off into the deep end but it was pretty much a kiddie pool looking back <laughs> like it, it yeah it was he started us by just trauma altars coming forward littles that were trapped in in traumatic memories mm-hmm. uh, they weren't co-conscious they were just trapped <clears throat> and he would lead us through he would lead us to them and Yeshua would would show up and he would start to speak to those parts or dad would start like Yeshua would speak through dad to those parts and and they when they were integrated some of them some of them those littles I still have around and some have been reintegrated and and as that has happened I I have gained the memories. Only I didn't, I don't have the trauma there. I have the presence of Yeshua. Mm. So it's not like going back through it and all of the trauma and all of the terror. Mm. It's, it's my part coming forward and receiving Yeshua's very presence there in the middle of their deepest pain and their deepest fears and all of the terror and fear. And that's what's reintegrated into me. And so I'm not going through that again. I, I get the incredible blessing of having my story and the truth of it, but having Yeshua's presence all the way through it. That is, that's time travel in a different way. <laughs> Talk to me about the encounter that your um, adopted parents had with your core. Yeah, that's actually incredibly cool. <laughs> um, um, this one you can look back and it just stands out as so incredibly important and it it was maybe a couple weeks into this journey and they were taken to a little they didn't understand what was going on and again this is me kind of repeating it from secondhand knowledge of like (laughs) them telling me the story of what happened Mm -hmm. but they explained that they were taken to a little baby that was sucking their thumb and Yeshua said she's in the womb and for them, they're incredible parents. They are, they blow my mind, their love for their kids. And so they wrapped, like they just curled up around me. And they curled up around the core and they just started singing to her and speaking words of life. And Yeshua came and just flooded it with, with his presence and with the safety. And that was right as the, the trauma was happening. But it stopped and his presence came and after that moment and after you know you come back and it's reality again it turns out that the core knows mom and dad her name is Lucy and Lucy knows mom and dad from the womb and she knows that that that's who they are like to her when she comes forward, that's mom and dad, and she's always known that. And actually, about a year after that happened, 
Lucy actually came forward for the first time. And apparently she was incredibly cute. And she came forward because one of my other parts had gotten completely drunk and I was having the effects of it. And so she came forward and in this really cute voice had said, why do people, why do big people drink? I don't feel good. And, but she, she popped forward and she said, hi, mom and dad. Hmm. And hi, Kay, like my sister. And she just, she knew them and they were dad is amazing at just kind of going with it and then figuring out what's going on after and so he just oh hi and lucy she explained her name was lucy and she she had known that they were mom and dad and dad was shocked he didn't know you know he dealt with everything and then he went back to process that and he had asked Yeshua for for confirmation that this was actually really time travel and in that moment in the womb dad had put his hand on on like the tummy and she had put her hand there and she pushed and he pushed and it was like that connecting moment between daddy and daughter Hmm. and and so he said okay i need you to prove something to me like without telling anybody what he wanted for confirmation he said if this is really true can you you know what that sign is you know what i need and so he pulled Lucy up one day and he's like, you know, how did you know that? How do you know that I'm daddy? How do you know that that was mom? And, and she just reached over and she put her hand on his hand and she just pushed. Hmm. And, and that was the, the time travel confirmation that was needed. <laughs> and for dad, that was like, he's, he's never really like, he goes with it, but he's always asking for that confirmation that, he has that same mentality of prove it. <laughs> That's powerful. It was. It was, again, one of those time travel is very, very real and has been a very big part of my journey. It, so Yeah, go, please continue. Just continue. Yeah, uh, it's just that every single step of this journey has mm. been Yeshua leading us all the way through. He's been the one to provide us with the right resources at the right time. He's given, you know, Kay a podcast or a book, or he's given mom and dad a podcast or a book or an article or just something at the right time to help connect the dots with all of this Mm -hmm. and to give us the next step of the journey. And it always seems like it'll be provided right before it's needed. And, you know, just have to say one of those resources has been your podcasts. Like, I know, like, ones with Dr. Bailey and Rob Skiba, and those have been actually essential to us. They've been life, and they've always been provided one step before they were needed. And, you know, there was one particular one like for dad that really stood out was the freedom from principalities prayer and it was he had listened to that podcast in the morning in the shower and then he needed it that afternoon and for me like i've you know i know that whole false memory thing and it's like you know well you're just you're listening to them and you're passing it on and you're taking on these things and and then you're making it your story but in very real reality and i really hope you don't take offense to this I listen to very few podcasts. I will pray before I listen to one to make sure that it's the right time to listen to it because there is so much stuff that correlates with my story and with things and 
and I don't want to trigger something that it's not time for. No apologies necessary. And so I'm necessary. always cautious. <laughs> and so I, I can't, I couldn't have been the one to bring that stuff up. It's just, he brought the right resources at the right time to them, and I was so thankful for that. And, you know, on the area of even triggers, I remember being in the shower and listening to Michael and Mary Lake, and they shared one, and Mary was talking about a dentist um, thing with her, and I remember collapsing into an absolute ball in the shower, and I hadn't even figured out that the water had turned cold. I was in such shock, and it it had triggered things in me, and those parts that had felt that trauma completely lost it, and they were shaking, and I all of a sudden people were knocking on the door like you okay and it was like nope (laughs) and that was one of those examples of I probably shouldn't have listened to that one because it yeah it was a very very inconvenient time but at the same time I've started to learn and this is one thing I really want to say is triggers are not for me they're not bad things Mm -hmm. they used to be but now I look at triggers as, okay, Yeshua, you have permission to work in my life. And if a trigger happens, it means that you're going to heal that and you're going to come through. And I'm going to stop freaking out about triggers and I'm just going to go, okay, if it happens, you're going to deal with it and it's going to be okay. And it's just one more door that you have to work on healing in my life. Okay. So stop being afraid of triggers anyway. <laughs> I love that you said that. I need to... Um... I, I just really need to say something on, on this. I have um, come across folks that reach a certain point in their healing journey and they have arrived at a conclusion. They say, I will avoid everything and anything that triggers me. I can't be around anything that triggers me at all. So if I get triggered, I'm going to be very, very upset with whoever b- burst my bubble. Well, the problem is when a person has been through a lot of trauma that they don't remember, nobody, including that individual, knows all of their triggers. I mean, you could serve a person an apple pie and that is a trigger. And you didn't know that, that they didn't know that. And um, it's an imbalance to think that as a survivor, once you say, okay, I'm going to open up my healing journey, you're going to find a quote-unquote safe place where nothing triggers ever. Your view, Dina, is very balanced that God works behind triggers to expose what needs to be healed. Um, I tell people, when you begin to get triggered, if it is in a situation that is avoidable, then remove yourself from that situation. If you're listening to a podcast and it begins to trigger you into high anxiety, take note of what began to trigger you, but stop listening. Mm-hmm. If you're watching a movie and it begins to trigger you, take note of what started the process, stop watching. Leave the room. If you're in a sermon, walk out of the church. Um, rather than go into an unnecessary full-blown manifestation, but don't at the same time make trigger avoidance your choice of lifestyle because then you end up basically locking yourself in your closet. 
anyway. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> I, I had a point where I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And I realized, where is all the scripture that says the joy of the Lord is my strength? Come on now. When, when do I get to start living? Mm. And you hit that point where you start to stand up and you say, you know what? No. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not letting this run my life. I want to actually be able to live and enjoy my daughter and enjoy my husband and enjoy my family. And I want to be able to go to a movie with my daughter. And I want to be able to sit and watch a silly movie with my family. And that's worth fighting for. Hiding, it just became not worth it anymore. Mm How long did that season of your life last where you were thinking that you wanted to hide? Um, honestly, about a year. <laughs> Be oh. a year and a half. Mm. And I, there was times where I actually did, did go into hiding. Mm-hmm. Actually, very severely. And that is a whole can of worms <laughs> of... I hit my break point, like absolute break point with this journey. Everything that was coming up, every memory that was being restored, everything that I had been discovering, the worms were scaring me. (laughs) They were all over the floor, and I was scared to step. And I was just in full-blown freak out, can't handle this anymore mode. And and I just, I lost it, and I was, I wanted to die, even with mom and dad, even with everything. I curled up, and I was ready to quit the battle, every part of it, and I actually needed a safe place, and I actually ended up living with mom and dad for about nine months, because I was determined to not live, and they were determined to get me through to the point where they knew that I would see the light again and I would find that hope again. Mm -hmm. And they walked, like they gave up nine months of their life and every evening they would be there to support me and love on me. And every part, every member of the family really did step in at that point. And honestly, that after that point, the fight that rose up in me Let's just say the enemy isn't going to get me back down there ever again. <laughs> ever again. But it took a whole entire family to get me there, honestly. If I hadn't had them, I wouldn't be here talking with you. And that's one thing in my journey that is incredibly unique is I didn't, I didn't have sessions. I had a whole entire family that wrapped their life around me and made it their priority to help me. And the blessing and the rarity of that is is incredible. <laughs> That's true. That is true. It's a true statement. I want to ask you this, Dina, coming back to the subject of triggers. Mm-hmm. Can you pick maybe one or two examples of triggers that, you know, erupted in your life? Think beyond what you shared about you know, collapsing when you heard the podcast by Mary and Michael Lake. What are a couple more examples of things that triggered you and how God opened up healing through that? Yeah. Um, the Marvel movies. 
hands down the worst movies for triggers for me. Every one of them. There's trigger phrases in there, trigger things, and we kind of just started watching them with mom and dad, and we would not get very far before things would, something would absolutely trigger their, like, the best way to put it is Natasha Romanov, Black Widow, that is a good definition of me parts that are in me, black soldiers that are in me. I have a part, she's Russian, she is extremely trained, she's a sniper. She can shoot 1,100 yards without blinking. And there's trigger words in there that that just had her melting into a ball and remembering things. And I was uh, actually blown away by the amount of things in those movies that's that's just one thing but what it did is every time every single time that it would happen one example and she has given me permission to share this and um that is my my rocky and you've met ellie Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. many others in bride have spoken with rocky (laughs) she is russian determined and blunt (laughs) but um we watched one moment in one of the movies and it's a moment where um, Natasha, she remembers back to the ballet thing and back to that, um, like a little dorm room with multiple beds and it triggered her and she just lost it and it actually opened up an incredible moment for healing because again time travel. Dad we stopped the movie and you know, I was a weeping ball in the middle of the floor and Rocky had come up and she wasn't okay. And Yeshua took dad all the way back to that memory and and he wrapped a blanket on her. And he met her in that moment of terror and, and brought comfort and Yeshua showed up and brought comfort. And that's an incredible healed memory now where actually all dad can just bring out a gray blanket and Rocky melts. It's <laughs> it makes her feel safe. Um, we were out, we went to my, one of, one of the adopted extras. Uh, he was graduating from RCMP. And we went out to the graduation ceremonies, and we were in a campground. And it triggered, I, she was the one actually that was up at that point, and she wanted nothing to do with Yeshua. And she was in full-blown, um, Russ's term, black soldier mode she was ready to kill everyone and go exactly back where she was meant to go. And dad, she came out of the bathroom and there was video games. There was a little arcade in the little bathroom in the little campground and the arcade started sending off gunshots. And she collapsed into a ball. She went from kill mode to collapsed in a ball in the middle of the floor. And just, she lost it, and she was bawling. And Dad was actually able to wrap up my homicidal Russian and lead her back to the van and put, a, again, a gray blanket on her <laughs> and and bring healing to that, that trauma in her that, that had shown up. And those are, yeah, I don't know if that... <laughs> That's an, that's a really really good example. I will say this: um, if a person has had secret space program, 
super soldier programming um uh, and 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 that that also goes along with black awakening programming or anything associated yeah, with that very much um the marvel movies are probably going to do them in um yeah. especially secret space program because the, the way they bring in you know uh all of the different races and creatures um, mm-hmm. cosmically as, as and, and on this be, do you have I mean uh, healing that you've had to undergo that involve cosmic exchanges uh, interactions with other planets is that part of your story it is uh, very much so Ellie whom you've met has many 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 stories about that um Blue Planet specifically, and yeah, those are those are her stories, and I would love to go more in depth with you with that at some point. There, there's a lot there with that that we've we've gone through a lot of healing, and Ellie's gone through a lot of healing, and it's a lot easier for her to talk about those things. And yeah, very much so. <laughs> He's brought us a long way with that stuff. Well, and um, you know, I I would actually like to take a few minutes. And kind of bridge this discussion, and then we'll we'll probably pause because we'll have more to pick up on in around three at some point in the future. But one of Ellie's things, and we had a conversation about this, had to do with evil shining ones. Mm-hmm. And you know, there was a point where I was actually publicly attacked for. Um, you know, bringing up the subject of shining ones. Uh, and so we had a conversation where you told me about the agenda for the evil shining ones, which, in my opinion, is valid. And, um, you know, I, I believe that Daniel 12, where God said, those that are wise will shine like in the brightness of the firmament, mm-hmm. is god's agenda for our glory in him and his own shining ones in that manner which are his sons and daughters but you know the evil agenda for shining ones is a real thing and 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 ellie's memories bear this out and i want to let you talk about it yeah that that was intense um i remember when all of that happened and i I, that, that was a very beginning of my journey in listening to things, and it really it spooked me. It scared me. And Ellie was furious when that stuff came out because for her, she she's had the very, very, very negative um, realities of the Shining Ones. And she understood very deeply what they were meant for and who they were and and the beings that they were and what their purpose was. And it honestly infuriated her that you were talking about it and it really like when she was able to sit down with you and both voice her um concerns but then to express what she knew and then for you to be able to pass on to her what you meant by it and that it settled everything in us it was huge and it allowed us to keep to breathe and (laughs) know okay this is there's something else going on here. And honestly, on the beautiful side of things, 
so many of my parts have come up with dad or Kay, like my sister or others, and said, you're really bright. You're sparkling. You, I can't even look at you. And they've expressed that like to dad, not, not just Yeshua, who has this warm light around him that is, there's not even human language for. But dad has been glowing, or Kay has been glowing, and that would be exactly what you described, the the wisdom and the shining of the very presence of, of the Ruach, Hekodesh, the set-apart spirit, and Yeshua, and exactly how believers are meant to be. We are meant to not look like the world. And honestly, in the spirit, we don't hmm. at all. <laughs> so, so tell me oh. about Ellie's knowledge. I can... Um, I'm not... I would love to do that a different day. Just I want to respect her and let her maybe be a part of that. And we hadn't discussed that together as a group before doing this one. So I want to respect her and not, not take that from her. So I think if it would be okay, I think she would love to um, come up and be a part of a different one with that. She would be more than willing and has expressed that. Um, some of the things just that her and I have talked about with that is... Um, these beings that are meant to come, they are meant to show up and be the race that leads everyone into, okay, it's like, how do I even do that? It's like, it involves the Catholic Church, it involves, like, (laughs) it involves, like, a whole race of shining ones. And they are meant, they are, yeah, I really, Ellie is so much better at this than I am. (laughs) She has the grace to talk about it where I just don't. <laughs> well, um, folks, I will say this. Uh, with the parts that Dina is now aware of, she has arrived <laughs> at, at, at a place of being a, a treasure trove of data points on the kingdom of darkness. Um, and we haven't really talked about the nitty gritty of her satanic ritual abuse. And we may get more into those details in a future program, but we will definitely be doing a future program to get into some of the data points of the secret things in the kingdom of darkness that her and her parts are now um, aware of. And, you know, Dina, I just want to say that you are incredibly brave for coming out and talking publicly about what you've been through and your journey to this point. So are there any final thoughts that you have before we conclude this program? Um, There's a scripture verse that just comes to mind and I just believe it's for all, all survivors. And it's just scripture says that he will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And he He's really done that in my life, and honestly, if <laughs> for anyone that is searching for that hope and thinking, I can't do this, if you let him, he will restore those years, and he will make them, all the years that were taken and stolen and robbed, mm. what he gives back is abundantly better, and it has continued to amaze me. I, I'm always in awe. <laughs> well, you and I both, Dina. <laughs> folks 
we have been talking with Dina. She is a satanic ritual abuse survivor and has given us a window into the life of the journey that one takes as they are working through the pain, the need for deliverance, the need for inner healing and recovery and redemption. And we are concluding. She'll be back at some point in the future. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com.